We are in Galatians chapter 5. We've been walking through the book of Galatians for the past few months. So if you have a Bible, let me invite you to turn to Galatians chapter 5. And we're going to focus on verses 16 through 26. If you don't have a Bible, there is uh, one in one of the chairs in front of you, and, uh, and it's on page 567, uh, if you would like to, uh, to quickly get there. I remember as a kid who didn't really go to church, uh, when I became a Christian later in life, uh, by the time I found the passage and tried to figure out what the little numbers and the big numbers and where I was in the Bible, uh, it seemed like the message was already half over. And so, uh, so if you're new to church, I'm just stalling so you can find uh, the passage. Uh, the table of contents are your friend, or if you have an app on your phone, uh, you can certainly get there pretty quick. We've been walking through the book of Galatians over the last few months, and in um, Galatia, it was a region, and, uh, and in this region, Paul had planted a number of churches. After Paul planted those churches, a group of people called the Judaizers um, came through and began to twist the message that Paul had preached to them. Paul had preached that you can be saved uh, by giving your life to Jesus Christ and by following him through repentance of sins and by placing your faith in Jesus. And the Judaizers came from a, a, a background by which they said, you have, to, uh, you have to follow the law in order for you to be really right with God. And so that twisted the message that Paul had preached. The message Paul had preached was that salvation is by grace through faith in Christ alone. And the message that the Judaizers preached was, Jesus is great, we like Jesus, but you need Jesus plus the law. Introducing legalism into the church. So Paul fired off this letter to the Galatian region to be shared amongst all the churches because they were drifting into a works-based, flesh-driven faith. But Paul had called them to liberty in Christ and to live a Spirit-filled life. So let me pray, and we'll read our passage, Galatians 5, 16-26 together. Father, we thank you for the opportunity that we have to gather today. We thank you for those whom you have assembled today, knowing that every person is here not as an accident, but because you have brought them so that they may hear a word from you. It's my prayer that they would hear from you clearly and that you might encourage them, that you would strengthen them, that you would give them hope, that you would show them the way to life and life everlasting. We thank you for your word, that it has been preached in every culture around the world, Uh, And that for hundreds of years, uh, hundreds of years to come, the message of these passages, should you tarry, uh, will continue to be spoken. We pray that your word would go out and accomplish the purpose for which you sent it today, and that you would use me uh, to teach your word today. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 through 26. The scripture says, but I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh for the desires of the flesh are against the spirit 
and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another and envying one another. Paul writes this as a corrective to the Galatian churches who were drifting back into a works-based, flesh-driven faith. But he calls them into a life of spirit-filled fruitfulness. The legalistic life leads to biting and devouring and consuming each other. The legalistic life, verse 26 says, is conceited and provokes one another and causes envy. But Christ has set us free from that legalistic type of relationship with God. Over the past few weeks, we have talked about how legalism and religiosity often does more damage in the soul of a person. But Christ has called us to freedom from those legalistic um, systems. And he says that we're set free to serve people in love. We're not set free to sin. Christ has set us free from legalism, from the deadly punishment that comes from breaking those laws of legalistic um, rules. He has come to set us free also from slavery to sin. We are set free not to sin, but to serve others. So if we're set free from legalism, and we're set free from the penalty of sin, a natural line of thinking for many Christ followers is that we are free now, since the penalty is gone, many new believers or many immature Christ followers think, if I'm free, now I can live any way that I choose. They might say something like, now I can send to my heart's content. I can just feed my flesh as much as I want because the penalty for that sin is gone. There is always forgiveness of sin. 1 John 1.9, if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So if that is there, then I can live any way that I want to. I'm free to live in as much sin as I desire. But that faulty thinking leads to a trap, which is a return to slavery. You see, before Christ... We were all slaves to sin. Romans 3.23 says that for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Everyone 
is trapped before they came to faith in Christ in a life of sin. We couldn't avoid it. We were sinners by birth, sinners by choice, willful sinners against the Lord, and for that there's a punishment. Jesus took that punishment so that we are free from being slaves to sin. But once free, why would we walk back into sin? The return to slavery if we live that sinful, willful, sinful life. Knowing that sin has devastating effects on the life of a believer, if you return to the flesh-driven life, you scuttle the grace and work of God in your life, you do real damage to people around you, Uh, you can tear apart the body of Christ and the bride of Christ, and you can entangle yourself in your sin in such a destructive way that having once been set free, you find yourself enslaved again. But just a personal illustration. Uh, when I was in fifth grade, I wanted to light some fireworks um, in a small town in Oklahoma. And my dad was working the night shift, so he was asleep. And uh, so I went into his room and I wanted to get his lighter that he kept in his pack of cigarettes. And so I went in there to get it. And he said, no, 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 don't, don't take the lighter. Just take a cigarette and, and, you know, light the firecracker with the cigarette. So he gave me a pack of cigarettes and, and he showed me how to light it. And then he showed me how to chain light one cigarette to another. So that when I went outside, if we shot off all the fireworks, uh, we could always relight them. And so what do you think a pack of fifth grade boys do with a lit cigarette? Well, we smoke them. That's what we do when you're from Noble, Oklahoma, all right? We smoke cigarettes and we walk around and we smoked all those cigarettes. And it led to a, a pretty good tobacco addiction in my life. Uh, from the time I was in seventh grade, I started uh, using more regularly, and I started using smokeless tobacco. And, and I did that for a long period of time until I became a believer. And uh, around the age of 17, when I gave my life to Christ, I found that the Lord delivered me from certain patterns of sin and destructive behavior. And so once I gave my life to Christ, I was set free from a tobacco addiction that I had 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 for seven or so years. Uh, Then after three or four years, um, in a particular period of stress, uh, I went back to tobacco. I jumped right back into it, and that kick-started pretty much a 20-year struggle with tobacco that I fought tooth and nail day in, day out as a believer. But, but I had experienced freedom from it for a period of time. And then I went back to it. And then once I went back to it, it created this uh, addiction that was even harder to quit. I was set free. And I went back willingly into slavery. It got to a point where I was a, a slave to that addiction. I woke up in the morning and uh, first thing, rather than grabbing for a Bible, I would grab a can of Copenhagen. And I would, um, at the end of the day, I, would, I was a slave six times a day, one can a day, until the, uh, until the Lord finally delivered me from that about 10 years ago. Can you imagine serving a life sentence in a maximum security prison? Then being set free and living a free life, free to get a job, free to have relationships, free to have uh, a normal life, and then after a period of freedom, walking back into a maximum security prison. 
That's the life that Paul is describing. Why would you go back into a life of sin? See, legalism is dangerous, but it's just as dangerous to go into what we call license. License to sin and legalism are two ditches on the path of the Christian life. We are not saved and set free to go back to legalism, and we're not set free to go back into a life of sin. Remember our preaching series in the book of Jude, Jude 1.4? He is warning them that certain people have crept into your church, ungodly people who pervert the grace of God into sensuality. They have walked into a church saying, you can live any way that you want to because Jesus will always forgive you. I remember driving through the mountains of Colorado on a big sleeper bus when we went to a Young Life camp called Frontier Ranch in Buena Vista, Colorado. And in this big sleeper bus, I remember waking up and seeing the lights of the bus going around a turn, and there was just a canyon beneath us and a mountain above us, and I thought, thank God for these guardrails, right? These guardrails will keep us from going off the side. There are guardrails in the Christian life that protect us from legalism and license. The middle of the path is the safest place for us to walk. And Galatians 5, 16 through 26, describes that middle path, the safest place for you to operate as a Christ follower, as those who walk with the Spirit. So the main point for today's passage is that we should walk by the Spirit, we should keep in step with the Spirit, and we should live by the Spirit that God has given us to indwell us, the Holy Spirit. This is the normal Christian life, all right? You might think the Spirit-filled life is for super-Christians. It's not. It's not reserved for super-charismatic people. It's not. The Spirit-filled life is the normal Christian life. I remember in college, I went to a small Bible college in Arkansas, and as a freshman and sophomore, I began to encounter uh, different viewpoints within Christianity. And there was one group of people uh, that started to use words like uh, the second blessing and to be um, um, filled with the Holy Spirit uh, requires a second sort of salvation experience. And they would ask things like, have you received the second anointing? Or have you received the anointing? Or have you received... Um, the, the saturation or the baptism of the Holy Spirit or the second blessing. They started to use all these things and they would depict it as the deeper Christian life. And they would categorize Christians as those who were just merely saved and those who had received this deeper, more significant outpouring of the Holy Spirit as the deeper Christian life or as um, uh, first-class Christians. And I remember really wrestling with that and really going to Scripture and trying to find all the passages that would describe a second filling or a second blessing or a, a deeper thing. 
And they were describing the activity of the deeper life, as they called it, or the anointed life, or the spirit-filled life. And they would say things that uh, they would point to places at the time, you might remember if you've been a Christian for very long, that places like Pensacola, or the Toronto airport, or vineyard churches, or other things like that, where um, there was the, quote, outpouring of the Holy Spirit, and those who had received the Spirit in these deeper ways would bark like dogs, or would go into some sort of sort of holy laughter or would fall over and convulse or gold dust would sprinkle from the, from the, the roof and the ceiling. And, and all these things were sort of um, pictures and images of the deeper spirit-filled life. And I remember really wrestling with that and wondering why the Lord had never caused me to uh, speak in tongues or to um, flop around on the ground or to experience these sort of deeper experiences that several of my friends were running toward. I remember one morning as I was wrestling with this, uh, I, I, I wanted to have a quiet time and my dorm room was not the best place to do it. Uh, it was just noisy. My suite mates had this pet rat that would always escape. One time I found that rat in the hallway and I picked it up and I took it back into my suite mate's room and I found that their rat was already there. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm holding this rat, and I, I don't want to tell you what I did with it, but <clears throat> needless to say, my dorm room was not the godliest place, right? It was not the place for me to connect with the Lord, so I went down into one of the little alcoves on our hallway, but it was busy, and it was early in the morning, maybe 6.30, but there was too much noise, and, and I remember just being annoyed a little bit and thinking, I'll go out to the tennis courts and uh, sit alone, away from all the distraction, and just try to read the Word for a few minutes. And so when I went out there, I, I began to pray, I began to get into the Word, and, um, and I heard a rattling behind me, and, uh, and uh, you had to pass through this one particular area to get to the dorms, and, and a friend that I'd been praying for for a long time, a guy whose grandparents made him go to this Christian college um, named Kenny, was rattling the gate and trying to get in, and he had just been at an all-night kind of party. And, um, and so he was trying to get back into the dorm, and he saw me there sitting on the ground reading my Bible, and, and he just sat down beside me, and, uh, and he said, hey, I'm not doing so well. Uh, I don't like what I'm doing. I don't like the life that I'm living. I don't like the, the things that I'm going through. And, and so we just had a time of prayer together, and as a non-believer, uh, I began to pray over him and minister to him and to, uh, to share scripture with him. And, and he got up and appreciated that and, and walked back into the dorm. And, um, and I walked away from that experience thinking, the Holy Spirit was just as active in my life in leading me from the dorm to an alcove, to a particular tennis court at a particular time and in a particular way, so as just to meet him at just the right moment that he had a need and I thought I didn't convulse and I didn't shake and I didn't, I didn't feel any weird premonition. My eyes didn't roll back. I didn't walk in a trance and, and speak in tongues to Kenny. It was just the normal Christian life for the Holy Spirit to use the circumstances that I was in, in that moment and at that time, to, to move me in a particular place, in a particular way, to the right spot, to where I needed to be at the right time. You see, the Spirit-filled Spirit-led, walking with the Spirit life is the normal Christian life. It's not filled with gold dust. It's not filled with holy laughter. 
It's not filled with shaking and rolling on the floor. Necessarily tongue speaking or other abuses found in Pentecostal or charismatic movements that twist and contort and distort the activity of the Holy Spirit into some next level life that is out of reach unless you have these experiences. The Spirit-filled day-to-day walking by the Spirit life includes conviction of sin, reminding of Jesus' words, reminders of Jesus' teaching. The Spirit gives loving leadership to our lives. He helps us to make certain decisions. He restrains us when we want to sin and be as sinful as we can. Often the Holy Spirit restrains us to keep us He comforts us. He's called the great counselor and the comforter. And of course, the resulting fruit of living the Spirit-filled life is recorded for us here. It's love and joy, peace and patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. You see that? That's the fruit or the evidence of a Spirit-filled life. It doesn't mention any of those extravagances. So what I desire for you, what I've prayed for you, those who are hearing this message today, is that God would help you to live the Spirit-lived life, the normal Christian life, and that you would be restrained from living a flesh-filled, carnal life. So let's get back into the text, and I'll show you this verse by verse. Verse 16, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh, so these are opposed to each other. They keep you from doing the things you want. So already we see in the text here that there is an opposition. There is a war within the Christ follower. Within the Christ follower, there are two powerful forces. The Holy Spirit, which is granted to those who have given their life to Christ to indwell within them. But there is also the powerful force of our own flesh, our own sinful desires, our own carnal desires. And so Paul says, walk by the Spirit and you won't gratify the desires of the flesh. There's a command and a promise. Walk by, the fle- walk by the Spirit and you won't gratify the desires of the flesh. To walk by the Spirit, it's a Greek word, peripatite, and it means someone who walks around after someone or to walk in a particular direction. The students from Aristotle were called peripatites. That is, those who followed after Aristotle and walked after him and obeyed his teaching. And it was adapted for us to understand that the normal Christian life, the command that will keep us from gratifying the desires of our flesh, is to follow after the person of the Holy Spirit. To walk by the Spirit. To be a parapetite of the Spirit. And then in that way, we won't gratify the desires of the flesh. Because the truth is, you can't live yielded to both at the same time. You won't, in one moment, pray and be submissive and sincerely open and honest before the Lord, and in the very next moment, be yielded and submissive to your flesh. It's no way to live. To be yielded to one is to be rejecting the other. 
David Platt says it this way, for the Christian to walk by the Spirit or to be led by the Spirit means to follow our teacher around. We must listen to the Spirit. We must discern His will and follow His guidance. This is not a deeper life or a higher life. It's the normal life. When it says that the Spirit and the flesh are opposed to each other, uh, I came up with a ton. I asked myself, what illustration really works for this? Oil and water, magnetic poles, a cat and water, Dallas Cowboys and the Eagles. Like what really comes, pictures this? My go-to is always a tornado when two violent forces collide in the tornado alley with the cold fronts coming from the Colorado Rockies and the, the warm fronts coming from the, the, uh, the Gulf of Mexico. And when those collide, there is a violent collision and the, it, it produces these tornadoes. If you've been in any discipleship group, you've also heard this legend that can't really be pinned down to any one teacher, but about two dogs, right? You've probably heard a version of this story. There are some, it usually goes that some Native American uh, was led to Christ by a missionary and a missionary came back a year later and said, how are you walking with the Lord? And he said, I found that there are these two dogs fighting within me. Uh, and he says, uh, you know, which one is winning? And he said, the one that I feed the most. There are so many versions of that story, it's hard to pin down which is right. But I think it gives us some insight into the reality. The believer lives in the middle of this battle. I think you feel that, right? I don't think any sincere Christ follower among us wouldn't say that there is a, a, a fight within us that is tearing us at one part that says, you know, the good things I want to do, I just don't find myself doing. And the bad things that I don't want to do, that's what I find myself doing more often than I want to admit. Paul describes this in Romans chapter 7. He says, I don't understand my own actions, for I don't do what I want to do, but I do the very things that I hate. Now, if I do what I don't want, I agree with the law that it's good. The law is to keep us from doing those bad things. So now it's no longer I who do it, but sin dwells within me. So sin is causing this pull toward the flesh. Paul says in Romans 7:19 for the good I don't want to do for I do not do the good that I want to do but the evil that I do not want that's what I keep doing now if I do what I do not want it's no longer I who do it but sin that dwells in me so I find this law at work when I want to do right evil lies close at hand the theologian GK Chesterton when asked what's wrong with the world he just simply said, I am. Pointing out the fact that we all as believers understand that there's this battle inside of us. There's a flesh desire and it's opposed to the Spirit. Paul describes it perfectly in Romans 7. And then he comes to this conclusion in 7.24, I see the members of my body waging war against the law of my mind and that makes me a captive to the sin. Wretched man that I am, who can deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord who has delivered me from this. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. In verse 5 of Romans 8, he says, Those who live according to the flesh set their minds on things of the flesh. 
But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on things of the Spirit. To set your mind on the flesh is death, but to set your mind on the Spirit is life and peace. The mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. And haven't you felt that before? You want to go sin or you want to live in your flesh and then there's a hostility toward God. No, I don't want to hear the conviction right now. I don't want to, I don't want to go to church right now. I don't want to go be with the Christ followers right now. I, I want to go with this group. That battle rages within us. Romans 8 continues to describe it. But Paul says it's really not that um, hard to miss. Skip down to verses 19 through 23. And he basically says that the works of the flesh are obvious and that the fruit of the Spirit is obvious. Meaning, how do, you, how do I know if I'm living in my flesh? How do I know? If, if, is there a litmus test? Yes, it's, it's right here in Galatians 5, 19 through 23. The works of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, those are the sex category. He also gives the religious category, idolatry and sorcery. Uh, just so that you're not thinking that these lists are exhaustive, um, these lists um, are, are basically very common in this time, and they, they never list everything, but he lists four different categories, sex, religion, relationships, and then indulgences. Sex, religion, uh, relationships, and indulgences. Indulging in over... Um, overdoing it in these indulgent ways. And he describes each of those things. That if you're going to live by your flesh, you're going to live a sexually immoral life. If you're living by your flesh, you're going to live a distorted religious life. If you're living by your flesh, your relationships will be defined, listen, by enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions and divisions and envy. That's a long list of relational difficulties that characterize the flesh-lived life. In contrast, the Spirit-filled life binds relationships together through love and peace and patience and kindness, grace. All those things overflow from the Spirit-filled life. So if a person is experiencing relational difficulty that looks like fighting or jealousy or anger or um, being ambitious and having a rival or dissensions or being divided or having envy, all those things are evidence that we are living a flesh-controlled life. But then he gets into the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against these things, there is no law. Verse 24, he says, Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So the sanctification life, the life of the Christ follower, is a life of continually looking to murder your flesh. All right? Um, you know those Dateline shows that everybody watches are so popular on like a Friday night. Uh, it's always the spouse, right? And so if your spouse watches that and you see them taking notes, like just be, beware that uh, something might bad happen. But I, always, I don't think anybody could get away with murder in our culture because of the popularity of those Dateline shows. Um, you have to be like over the top next, right? This is, I'm going down a dark road. I don't mean to, but... but we are to be experts, the believer, by the power of the Holy Spirit in putting to death our flesh. 
putting to death the desire to indulge in sinful behavior. Putting to death the desires of our sinful behavior. We have to put it to death. And as we walk by the Spirit, and as we say yes to the Spirit and His promptings, then we say no to the flesh and its desires. Sometimes our flesh puts up a fight. I got distracted this week at this point, and I just Googled overdramatic death scenes, right? And I watched for more than I want to admit. Um, all these scenes of the most overdramatic, theatrical, just stumbling around kind of deaths on the, on the YouTube, on the YouTube, I sound like a boomer, on the YouTube, uh, I watched all these videos. And one of the funniest, maybe one of the top ones, was a Turkish film where this guy just, it takes five minutes. The lady shoots him at least 19 times. Like, and he just keeps flopping around and he has this stuff in his hand that makes it explode and it's just so overdramatic. But as I watched it, I kind of giggled a little bit because I feel like my flesh is like that. I'm supposed to crucify it and it's taking forever to die. Like why, why can't I just get over this? Our flesh is like that. It's like an over-dramatized death scene. So the final command for us from Paul is that if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit, not becoming conceited, provoking each other, and envying each other. So my prayer for you, my prayer for me, is that we would deny the flesh and that we would walk by the Spirit if we're in Christ. And that by doing so, we'll experience all these beautiful fruits of the Spirit. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you so much for your word today. I think all of us can acknowledge the struggle that we face. I think that all of us have an understanding of the battle that rages within us. Would you give us the grace and strength as those who you have given a measure of autonomy and independence, that we have the will and the ability to choose whether we're going to live according to our flesh and we have the ability to live in such a way as though we are yielded to your spirit. Would you help each of us, especially um, those within the body of Christ, that we might, by the power of the cross, crucify the flesh with its sinful desires? As Peter wrote, you have spent enough time in the past doing those things. May we live by the Spirit, keep in step with the Spirit, so that we may live lives of demonstrated by the fruit of the Spirit. And against the backdrop of a world that is struggling with fear and anxiety and out-of-control living, it should be the Spirit-filled Christian who is simply toiling along characterized by love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness, self-control. Would you make that a reality for us today? In Jesus' name, amen.